Welcome to this week's Monday meeting. Today is September 9th, 2019. Monday meetings are a chance for motion designers all over the world to connect and ask questions, share inspirations, or hear presentations and interact with industry leading artists on an equal playing field. Your hosts are Liam Clisham and myself, Mark Cernosia. We have a special guest today. Chad Ashley is here showing off his workflow uh, for creating the new installment of the, of the new GSG Everyday Material Collection. Are you, are you calling that like volume two or is there any specific name for that, Chad? Yeah, actually it's not volume two of EMC. Okay. It's a completely different collection, but uh, yeah, it's, it's done and works the same sort of way. It's built the same way and it works the same way. So yeah. Great. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, uh, if you guys have any questions, please raise your hand to be called on. Uh, we use zoom and there is a raise your hand function down in the participants, uh, button. If, uh, you want, you can also type question in the, uh, zoom chat and we will monitor that and we'll call on you to ask your question. If you have a, uh, a mic and a camera. If not, we can ask the question for you. Any comments or questions that might seem spammy will be muted. And as usual, this call is recorded. And if you have any concerns about something that was said on the call, let us know and we can edit that out of the recording um, for when we post it. Um, and before we dive into the main discussion, a few opening topics. Uh, Camp MoGraph ticket sales are now over. We're getting really excited as the, uh, as the event is more or less right around the corner now. We're just a few weeks away. So stoked to meet all the uh, attendees that bought tickets for that. Uh, along with that is uh, Half Res is coming up in just over a week out in Chicago. Uh, I'll be flying out there and hanging out with a lot of people there. So please find me and come say what's up. Uh, Chad will be there as well, I believe. Yep. Um, and then a shout out to Maxon and their three, 3D design plus motion tour. It's well underway now. And um, the guys over at Grayscale have been generous to give a code out uh, or have worked with Maxon to do a 25% off coupon code, which is GSG3DMT. Um, so uh, the, I know the first few stops have been very successful. Uh, one's coming up in Montreal. It's tomorrow, I believe. And I think Chad's going to be up there. So if yep. you are north of the border here in Canada, definitely go check it out. So Liam, am I forgetting anything? <laughs> no. Sorry, right. I, I'm off point because I'm making jokes about Jordan's name. <laughs> um, cool. So, so without further ado, let me introduce Chad Ashley. Hello. Thanks hey, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. I've, I've, I've not been able to join one of these because it's sort of like conflicts with the family schedule and all sorts of other things over here. But I'm glad to finally make it. And it's, it's actually uh, a really cool thing you guys got going on. The fact that like, there's just so many uh, meetings and sort of podcast podcasts, I guess, but this is, I think a really interesting take on it. Cause it's sort of like you're, you're all talking together, which I think is really, really cool. 
Cool. Well, thank you. I, we appreciate that. We're just over, I mean, we've been doing it now for just over a year or so, a year and a few months, and it's crazy how time flies. But uh, yeah, we're stoked to have you on and have everyone joining us today. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So uh, what do you want to talk about? So maybe give us a quick overview of what this new collection um, contains. Yeah. And as that happens, I'm going to encourage people in the chat to throw out any questions or if they want to learn about any specific materials that are being mentioned, please do so. And, and we will, uh, we'll monitor the chat for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just saying, I was agreeing. I was concurring. I was a, a doctor. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, yeah, I, you know, I don't want this to turn into like a big uh, commercial. So like, I don't want to like, you know, shill these things really hard. But uh, I and so I kind of want to steer it a little bit. However, you guys want to do it. Like we can talk about substance, we can talk about just my process for that stuff. But I will explain what these things are because I'm, I'm, I hope a lot of you have been enjoying the everyday material collection that dropped, I don't know what, like a, not even a year ago. I can't remember how long ago that was. And so, yeah, I dropped a bunch of like really, uh, I think, high quality uh, general sort of materials. And so when that one wrapped, I was kind of like, okay, I, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to do something that sort of gels a little bit with my own style and my own aesthetic and do something a little bit more art directed. And I'm a huge fan of just modern design, mid-century modern uh, inspiration, color palettes, furniture. I'm, I'm also really into industrial design, interior, interior design. So I wanted to make a material pack that was fun and colorful and sort of had this modern vibe to it. So that's what I did. I, I took all the knowledge that I, get, I gained from making EMC and Substance and sort of brought that into this idea. <clears throat> but then I wanted to go a little bit further. One of the things that I think was a bit tough for people on EMC was that because it's bitmap based materials, you can't necessarily tweak a lot of the parameters because it has to work in Octane, Arnold and Redshift. And, you know, the only way to sort of get true consistency between those is like the bitmap workflow was perfect for that because, you know, everything is using the same bitmaps, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me, in this new one, I wanted to try going a little bit deeper with that uh, and giving you guys a little bit more control. So, a lot of these new materials, you'll be able to adjust the colors yourself. Like you can actually input your own colors, which is something that was long requested on EMC. So this one, because it's art directed, it's a bit more curated, has a bit more of an aesthetic to it. It's important that you guys be able to add your own flavors to it. So um, there's that part. And then there's also some materials in there that aren't bitmap based, like some ceramics that we have in there, for instance, that are uh, using curvature and they're using some not super complex node structures, but materials that you can adjust, that you can change the color, you can make it look however you want. So that was important to me to make sure that this pack was fun, colorful, modern, but customizable and uh, something that you people can sort of do what they want. I can show you guys some, uh, you guys want to see some test renders? Is that, is that cool? Yeah, let's see. 
So I just hit the share button, right? That's all I got to do? Yep, share, and then it should allow you to uh, pick the screen you want to share. Oh, sweet. Okay, so then I just uh, pick what? Uh, I guess I just pick this one. So let me know if this works. So does this work? That works. Not working? Okay. Looking good. We'll go over that in a minute. Oh, wait. Shoot. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me stop the share for a second because <laughs> I don't want to show anything I'm not allowed to show. Uh, let me just dive into that album. So I'm going to show you guys just some stuff that I made while putting this together. And I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. And you're also going to get a sneak preview uh, of the name too because we haven't really officially announced that yet. So, uh, without further ado, let me see if I can get this right this time. All right, so this new material pack is called, uh, is this coming over? You guys see this? Mm -hmm. All right, it's called the uh, Modern Surface Material Collection, MSMC uh, for short. And these are just some test renders uh, using uh, this, new, this new pack. So, you me I mentioned before uh, the ceramics. So um, the ceramics are really nice. I, I, I'm really proud of these. They, they, uh, they work just like a ceramic material would using curvature. They're pooling the glaze into the crevices and sort of having it pull away from any edges, like uh, any convex ed edges. So you end up getting some really nice looking uh, ceramics there. And what's great is that uh, we sort of painstakingly made these work the same way across renderers. Obviously, there's some subtle differences between them, uh, given that they're completely different engines. But for the most part, they should look exactly uh, the same. Uh, we've got some new concretes in here. We've got some uh, a new marble that I really love. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so these are just some promo renders for that. Let me try to find something a bit more in line with what I was saying before. Okay, so this is pretty much kind of sums up uh, the aesthetic uh, in one image. It, it's, I just love this look. I just love uh, this like mid-century mid modern inspired mm -hmm. shapes and colors and patterns. And uh, yeah, so I, this has got all of them in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me get some water. It's like way early for me. <laughs> Our days don't start till much later at GSG. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so we got marble, we've got new concretes, we've got some really nice paper materials. We've got isometric papers, we've got graph papers, data graph papers, we've got maple veneers, we've got um, lots and lots of different stuff. Uh, there's actually like so much here that it's kind of hard to even like show everything. But the real, I think, fun part about this collection are the patterns. So I created about 50 different tileable fun patterns that you can use. And these patterns can be used in conjunction with some really amazing color palettes that I've put together. So I put together about 50 uh, really fun modern color palettes in cinema that you can just drag into your scene and start using. So these are all created using uh, the patterns from MSMC and one of the color palettes as are all of these guys down here. Uh, let's see. Can I throw a question at you, Chad? Yeah, sure. Yeah, interrupt yeah, so, me anytime. Yeah, so speaking of how they were created, Jesus is wondering, did you do it all digitally or are some of them photo-based? So the, all the patterns are digitally, and, I, and I'm going to sort of walk you through a little bit how my brain works in that respect. 
but yeah, so all the patterns are um, created entirely in substance. Um, the, the other materials, like let's say, let's just talk about these, these woods, for, for example. So the woods are photo-based where it makes sense and substance where it makes more sense. So with that, what I mean by that is, so particle board, for instance, this one right here was actually uh, suggested by uh, the Brograph guys. So I think it was Matt that actually asked for this. And he's like, oh, I really wish we had some, some uh, particle board. And I'm like, oh, dude, I can totally do that. Like, I think I actually shot particle board for EMC, but never used it. So for that one, it didn't make a lot of sense to go in and make some crazy substance with like tons of little bits of wood and chunks and whatnot. So I shot that one and then brought it into substance, made it tileable, extracted all of the different uh, channels, and there we have it. But the maple veneers, for instance, like these guys over here, and down here, it's really hard to find a very large piece of any kind of wood simply because like trees don't get that big. <laughs> so like to try to find one that doesn't have seams or is not already cut down and polished and stained, it's really, really hard to find that. So uh, where it made sense, and I really wanted a, a fairly large piece of maple veneer because obviously I want people to be able to offset the UVs and change it so that you can get more use out of it if it's not just a real small swatch of, of wood. So that's all procedural. The maples are all, uh, the maple veneers are all procedural. The, um, uh, the particle board is obviously photo-based. This cut part, this cut, uh, well, actually I have a better image for that. This cut plywood, let me see if I can find this other one. All right, here we go. So this cut plywood is mm. procedural and the, um, the top maple veneer is pr procedural, but the plywood itself, like the, the more detailed plywood, let me find that one. Uh, let's see. Okay, so here's one. So this plywood is photo-based because that is just like the subtlety and the, just like the tactile nature of a plywood like that is really hard to make absolutely realistic in substance. Not to say that you couldn't do it, but when a camera can get you there in two seconds, mm -hmm. use the camera. So I, I mix it up. I try to keep it like whatever's appropriate for whatever I'm building. That's what I'll use. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. totally. Now for the ones that are procedural, are you, like, it, will this pack contain those files or is it just the exports from that? No, like, you won't get the substance files. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, we don't export the substance files. We, we did a bunch of like asking around, like, would you guys want the substance files? And of course the people that are like using substance are like, well, yeah, we want the substance files. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't enough people responding and asking for those things to make it something that we were interested in putting together. Mm -hmm. um, also, it, it would mean that um, I would have to organize my substances <laughs> like to, for public consumption, which is like, yeah, uh, that would be a lot. Because sometimes when I'm working, I'm, I'm in the flow and I'll just start like kind of like just going at it. And like pretty soon my screen is just like a mess, but I know exactly what I was doing. And I'll go back sometimes and clean it up, but oftentimes I don't because I'm the only one touching these things. So I will just sort of like just go as fast as I can to get my idea out. And then if it's something that I need to share or I feel like I'm never going to be able to figure out what I did a year from now if I don't clean this up, then I'll go back and clean it up. But for the most part, I'm keeping it um, fairly messy. But yeah, 
uh, I would love to start doing more substance exports. Um, and I think that what's interesting about those is I, I kind of think it's interesting to build not just like a material, but a utility. I, I feel like that's something that I could do pretty well for people, like build a, a utility node in substance. Um, I built, for instance, a handprint generator in substance mm. where you could just bring in this handprint generator, hit random seed, how many handprints do you want, and use that in a roughness and uh, get, some, get some smudges going on your stuff. But I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We'll see, we'll see where everything kind of ends up going. But yeah, these are super fun to put together. And um, the color palettes are also really great too. That's something that I had a lot of fun putting together. Let me see if I can find an image that has... Well, here, these have a lot of the color palettes in them here. So, How many materials will be included in this one? I think we ended up with over 100. Um, yeah, I think that's where it ended up. I, I'd have to check, but we'll put out more like specifics once they, once they get closer to releasing. But yeah, I think it's like somewhere over 100 or something like that. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. They're, they're, they turned out really good. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think like there was another, uh, let's see. Yeah. There was a color palette image I thought I had in here, but maybe I don't, that might be in a different, let me go. I'm just going to stop sharing for one sec and open up this other, this other album that has a little bit more of like the deeper dive stuff. Okay, so let's see if this works. So while you're doing that, um, we've got like a few people that definitely want to see you do a breakdown. Yeah. Um, and then also Ben is wondering if this link is available publicly so they can kind of go through and check it out as well. Oh, these images? Yeah. No, these, this is an exclusive sneak peek. Nobody <laughs> has seen these yet. Uh, we've been sort of like peppering social with these images but nothing uh nothing public yet so we, the name isn't even public yet so you're getting a sneak peek of that as well um but yeah they'll be out i'm sure we'll be putting a lot of these images on the product page and whatnot yeah so here are um some of the color palettes that you could you will be getting with uh with this pack sweet yeah. how did you generate those did are those like uh so those are basically I, I keep a pretty extensive reference folder and anything that I come across um, on any of my design uh, blogs and just like feeds that I just like screenshot everything. I'm a screenshot junkie and I just keep a, a going a library going. And then if I really, or if I'm just out in the world and I see something with a really beautiful color palette, I take a picture of it and I save it to a folder. Uh, and then I went in and I extracted the primary and key colors uh, from every image that I loved. Hmm. And then I took that into Adobe color and uh, built out actual Adobe uh, color palettes from all of those. Then I used a Cineversity tool to pull those color palettes into cinema to build swatch, swatch libraries. Cool. So I did this about, I have about 50 uh, somewhere in there um, of these color palettes. 
And uh, they're just meant to kind of give you a starter. Maybe you want to use them in a pitch or maybe you love them and you want to use them on a job. It's like, it's really sort of meant to be inspiration, but you can totally use them too. I mean, I've used them on uh, just about every promo image that I've made. Um, These are some more like shader ball promo images. Do you have the ability to show how that's integrated? Because I, I worked with you on it, so I know like a little bit, and I don't know if you're allowed to show that yet. Show which part? The, the how, like the color palette switching. Oh yeah, no, we I can't show that yet, um, but we will be showing that pretty extensively. Oh, also too, I I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Liam, but we're gonna have. Um, I recorded like a lot of training on this product. So this is also, like I mentioned before, it's sort of a, a, of an experiment in doing more of an aesthetic material pack, but then it's also got a training component to it. Cause I actually went in and, and like, I'm teaching everyone like how to really fully utilize these color palettes in ways that, that are very powerful. So for instance, like if you have a, um, this is actually a really good, uh, use right here. Let me find one of these shader of these uh, sphere renders. Okay, so let's just use. Uh, let me find one that I love. This guy. So, for instance, this is one material. So, using some of the techniques that I show in the training on this material pack, I'm going to show you how to uh, randomly pull a different pattern and randomly pull a different color from one of the palettes that are that are. Uh, that are sold with this pack. Hmm. So you could go crazy. You could have a, a, a crazy amount of clones and one material and you're getting all of this randomness out of it. It's a lot of fun. So that there's a training component to this as well that I, I definitely want to stress because it's, it's very powerful. And another question about the palettes. Somebody wants to know, uh, Jordan wants to know, are you going to be able to integrate your own palettes and save them and then kind of drag and drop them or integrate them as well? Yeah, we're using the same color palette. It's just the Cinema 4D color palette. So you can, but I, I get what he's saying because not a lot of people know that you can actually save color palettes to the content browser. So any color palette that you make, you can just drag it into the content browser and it creates a little, a little swatch with the, uh, with the colors on it. And uh, that's how we're able to share and sell all of these, uh, all the color palettes that I made. Uh, they're in there. So it's no, like, there's no proprietary stuff going on, but yeah, you can make your own color palettes. You can change the ones that we provide. Maybe you want to add one of your brand colors to it and then save it as an alt version of one of these color palettes. Yeah, you can totally do that. That's not a problem. Yeah, that's something that I had a lot of fun with on this one too, is like diving into cinema's use of color palettes and gradients in uh, R20 and then like figuring out ways to put them in the content browser and just like make a really sort of cohesive experience in this aesthetic, I think was like my goal uh, to make this, this fun, modern style, very approachable. If you're, uh, if you're into that sort of thing, which I definitely am. <laughs> so another- Jim, do you want to touch oh. on to uh, his use is also asking, is this going to be for Redshift, Octane, Arnold? Hopefully everything is in a uh, dot, lib4d file instead of the local db smiley face and you and i kind of had a discussion about this a few days ago about linking to external files so it doesn't necessarily have to compile into a massive lib4d file 
Yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's a great question and a great statement. Um, so if anybody understands the workflow of the Everyday Material Collection with Octane, they know that it has to work with the, the live database, their, their little own sort of like, I don't know what you call it, the, well, it's a live database. It's like their own little material library thing. And that's because uh, they just wouldn't get on board with having uh, uh, local, local pathed textures. And what that means is if you were to, let's say, make a material right now in Cinema and you drag it into the, into the content browser, it's going to automatically create a folder called TEX, and that's where all your textures are going to live. And what sucks about that workflow is that if you have a lot of really high-res textures, pretty soon that lib4d file, which only lives on your C drive, is going to balloon into a huge, huge thing. And because it's baked into your lib4d file, those textures are now sort of wrapped in the lib4d format, and you can't really see them outside of the content browser. That was not a workflow that I was interested in pursuing when I did EMC, because I, the way I like to work when I was even at a studio was I want to have all my, all my texture files on a separate drive living somewhere else, maybe on a server or whatnot, and I want everybody to have access to them at any time. So the only way to do that was to sort of take the, the texture files out of the content browser, in a, but still have them uh, essentially be locally pathed so that essentially the, the name is just the name and dot JPEG or whatever. There's no like folder file in that name. And the only way you can do that is using, uh, I believe it was R19, they introduced that ability. So the only one that actually worked out of the box that way was Arnold. So I had started building EMC that way entirely. I was like, oh, this is great. I have all my textures over here. And because I just told Cinema to look in that folder for textures, it was fine. Everything was going great. Then I started porting everything into Redshift. And I noticed when I did it in Redshift, it gave everything this like preset colon slash slash blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't working. So I hit up Costas at Redshift. I'm like, hey, I have this workflow in Arnold. I want the same workflow in Redshift. Is there any way we can make this happen? I want to be able to have just the name of the texture in that field. And as long as it's pathed in cinema, it just finds it and there's no problems. He's like, yeah, we can make that happen. So I think it was 2.4, I don't remember what version that he had that in, <laughs> but it was something like that. There's been so many freaking Redshift versions, dude. And so, yeah, I got all that working and then I started working on it in Octane and I ran into that same problem. So I hit them up and I'm like, hey, can you make it so like as long as Cinema finds this thing, it's fine. We don't have to have this huge string and it's not doing the preset bullshit. And they never got back to me. So they never got back to me and I couldn't make that workflow happen in Octane. So the only way that I could create that similar sort of like store all of the stuff on a different drive was using the live database workflow in Octane. Hmm. So that's a really long way of saying they just didn't play ball. And sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, with so many different texture sites and stuff, you would think that that would be a workflow that would be pretty important to many renderers, you know? Um, you know, you have Polygon, you have textures.com or whatever, like so many places where you can get different textures, but uh, interesting to hear about that workflow. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a shame because I really, I, I feel a little bit bad about everyone using it in Octane because the workflow isn't ideal. 
but again, like I have to remind people that it's not our workflow. It's we just make materials like we're just making these materials and trying to do our best to make them as easy to use as possible. But when, when the manufacturers don't or the, the render uh, companies don't really sort of like, you know, play ball, then there's really not much we can do. Sure. Um, well, changing gears a little bit, are you down to show a little behind the scenes substance style? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. Let me open up Substance. Uh, let's see if this works. So I want to show you guys. Um, I'm just going to assume that everyone maybe doesn't have a lot of Substance designer knowledge and and sort of started off pretty pretty simply. Um, okay, so let me just make sure this is actually going to work because it's it's like definitely uh, my machine is like crawling for some reason. Okay, there we go. All right, so this is not one of the materials, but I think it's a good it's a good intro to sort of how this program works. For those of you that don't understand or don't under, don't even know what Substance Designer is, it's a node-based material authoring program that is insanely powerful and can be extremely intimidating when you first start to use it. <laughs> uh, there there is um, not a whole lot of really great intro courses on it. Although I got to say they just dropped one maybe about six months ago on Substance, uh, their YouTube channel. And if you guys are interested in checking out that little intro series, uh, I'm sure we could find it and link it, uh, get it to you. It's probably the, mo the best one they've done. And um, when I was learning, that wasn't out. So I had to sort of like comb the internet looking for tutorials everywhere I could and try to figure it all out. Uh, but in a nutshell, if you've ever done any node-based compositing, and if you've ever done any node-based material creation in Redshift, Arnold, Octane, whatever, then you already have a pretty good idea of how this works. It's not that different. It's a little bit more compositing heavy than I would say uh, it is like making a 3D like material in Redshift or whatever. It's a bit more like like um, comping. And, and if you sort of come into it with that mindset, the entire program will be much easier for you to learn. Uh, the other intimidating factor is they, they've got this library full of stuff and it just looks like craziness, like adjustments, blurs, channels, effects, normal. oh my God, generators, pattern, what? I don't even know what all this is. But if you just sort of take it bit by bit and you don't try to like tackle everything at once and you start taking it down, like breaking it down to the essentials, make something really simple at first and then sort of build your way up, it will make a lot more sense. So one of the things um, that I love doing is just challenging myself to create something in substance that I see in the world. And um, my wife uh, has this makeup bag that's been sitting on our bathroom counter for what seems like forever. <laughs> and it's a, uh, it's a bag by this company called Ipsy. Um, and I just loved this, this pattern. This pattern was really cool. It's like, you know, little lemons with offset color printing. It just would look really neat. So I wanted to see if I could take the knowledge that I had in Substance Designer and just create a simple pattern like this. And I think that when you look at Substance material or Substance tutorials online, almost all of them are like, we're going to create dirty brick and we're going to create wrecked stone and like dirt and like all this stuff. And that's fine. And I'm sure like 
I'm sure a lot of game artists and whatnot are like super into that. And it makes a lot of sense to like learn that stuff. But I don't know. I don't learn that way. Like I'm not making a lot of those kind of assets. So for me, I had to sort of like take bits and pieces of that stuff and, and kind of kludge together what I wanted to do with it. So I'm going to walk you through my mind on how I created um, this material. So this is the reference here. And I'm just going to bring up the actual finished pattern. So this, this pattern is completely procedural. There's absolutely no uh, images that I pulled from this. Uh, it's done completely in substance. So you can get, you, you don't have to be creating medieval brick all the time is what I'm basically trying to tell you. Like you can create anything. You can create really tasteful artistic things in here. Uh, and, and really that's, that's, that's what I wanted to show you guys. And we're just going to break this down really simply. Okay, so I knew I wanted to create, let's just start with the actual uh, lemon itself. When you see how this is broken down, you're going to be like, oh my God, this is so simple. So it literally starts off with this like uh, oval shape, right? There's nothing crazy about that. It's just a circle. Uh, I've changed the size a little bit to make it a bit more of an oval. And this is just a, a default primitive, if you will, of a disc. This is, I didn't have to draw this. This is just a primitive, if you will. So that just then gets leveled and I just clamped out some of the uh, anti-aliasing that happens. Then I just uh, made another little dot and then I just moved that dot down into the frame and then I copied it and I moved it up into the frame. I didn't even have to copy it I, because it's node-based. I can have one dot and this is now going into a transform, which is moving that dot up and this transform moves that dot down. So if I come over here and I change this dot, maybe I change the size of this dot, it's going to change on both, if that makes sense. Okay, so these two dots got moved one up, one down, and then they just get added to my main little oval right here, right? All making sense so far. Then we just blur this entire thing. And then all we have to do is clamp it with some levels. And now all of a sudden we've got a lemon shape. From there, all we have to do is grab this really cool node called, uh, I think it's called like edge detect. Yeah, edge detect. So now it's just giving me my outline of my, of my uh, lemon. From there, I'm inverting it so that I can make that into a map. And then I just clamped it down, or so I blurred it, and then I clamped that blur again, just to get a cleaner anti-aliased edge off of my lemon. I also split this off for some reason. I'm trying to remember why I did that. Oh, I was creating a map for the inside, and I wanted that map for the inside of the lemon to be uh, not perfect. I wanted it to be sort of like choked a little bit. So I just took that same, that same shape, I split that off into a blur, and then I just clamped that down, and now I have this ability to mask out some of this cool dots, mm -hmm. which I'm going to show you these dots in a minute. So uh, all that tracking so far, pretty simple, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. hearing silence. So I'm yes. hoping you're, <laughs> you're enamored. <laughs> I lost them already. Uh, all right. So this node is uh, one of my favorites. It's a very powerful node. And it is a tile pattern node. So this tile pattern node uh, basically can take, and I'll just make one really quickly here. I'm just hitting spacebar to bring up the search. Uh, scrap tile generator. All right, so this tile generator node is super powerful. Basically what it's doing, it's, it's doing exactly what you would think. It's creating a tiled texture and you could feed it custom textures in here or you can use one of their basically their built-in patterns. So we could come in here and grab like a disc and then we could just come over here and like scale all these discs down. Maybe we want the discs to be randomly scaled. And then maybe we want to even do some random offsets on these, something like that. And maybe not so much. We don't want them to 
bleed over into each other too much. And then maybe we'll, uh, I got to move this thing. Try that. Okay. So then we can just do like 0.5 to make them uh, offset. So you can just do some really cool, simple stuff. And of course this all tiles right out, you know, built in tiling, which is great. So that's all I did there. I just sort of like built these little dots that were going to be the dotted patterns on our, on our lemon. And then I just uh, comp that over using a screen and transform that down to the bottom of my frame so that I could start to add my leaves and my stem. But because it's all procedural at any point, if I wanted to maybe let's say change the size of the nubs on the top of the uh, and bottom of the lemon, I could do that really easily just by jumping back into this guy and changing its size. In fact, let's go ahead and look at the output right there. I'm just gonna grab this guy and we're just gonna change the scale down. And now we're just adjusting the little nubs on our lemon, just like that. Pretty simple, right? All right, so from there, uh, I just started to break down the other shapes. So I made a stem and the stem starts off as a, a rectangle. I mean, it's pretty simple. And then I just blurred it and I, I clamp it. And that's how I get the rounded uh, edges on all these things. You just blur and clamp and, and you can just like keep going in that way. So I do the fine edges on that and then I just invert that, I blurred it clamped it and then I just at, moved it up into the uh, area that I wanted it to be on top of the lemon, put, put a little bend on it. So the bend is actually, I'm not gonna get too deep into the bends, but the, it's basically a warp and the warp is a, a directional warp. So right now it's, it's warping the, uh, the stem uh, in X and I'm using this gradient uh, to drive that. So it's just kind of wherever it's white, it's gonna like warp it X and wherever it's black, it's gonna warp it the other way. So I've got a question for you. Yeah. As you're making this stem, so you're not guessing where to put it in place, are you able to like overlay another node so you can see where you're transforming? Um, you can always just like double click a node and that's going to show that node in your, uh, in your 2D view. Mm. And then you can just single click to the active node. So right now I'm actually manipulating this node, but I'm looking at this node. And you can tell because I'm actually, you see this little checker right here? Yeah. That little checker is indicating what's being shown in my 2D view. And this, okay. this little uh, piece of paper with a corner turned down is what I'm showing in my little attribute window over here. Gotcha. So that's how you can tell like what you're looking at and all that sort of thing. So if I move this over, you can see like I'm moving, moving it around and it's warping based on that gradient up there. Hmm. Just undo cool. that. All right. I think that's where it was. If not, whatever, it's fine. Oh, <laughs> no, it's not. Actually, let me undo one more time. There we go. So then I comped that uh, onto my lemon and we're good to go. Now the leaves are a little bit more complicated. So the leaves started off as a circle and another circle, and then I offset the two, right? And then I just subtract them from each other. Does that make sense? So it's just a simple sort of like Boolean effect almost on these masks. Then I just took a tile generator like I showed you earlier and I warped it a little bit and I blurred it uh, and that warp, which is just using this gradient to pull the middle of the frame down and the edges up, I get, I get this cool leaves pattern right here. And then that just gets subtracted out of the leaves. I blur it, I clamp it down, and then the whole thing gets added to that edge detect to give us the leaf. Mm. And then from there, I just duplicate it. I use a splatter circular. Now, a splatter circular is kind of like a, a cloner set to radial mode. So you can sort of imagine how that would be with uh, putting this leaf into a, a radial cloner. It's the same way with a splatter circular. So I just have two clones going up there and then those get 
brought together. Then the whole thing gets put onto the lemon up here. Then it starts to, it looks very sort of generated. It needs to be uh, warped and sort of manipulated to look like, uh, like it's hand drawn. So I throw in some, some warping using a couple different noises to give me this like warped effect. Then I do a little bit more of like a finer sort of, uh, let me see if I can zoom in, like a finer detail warp on that. Then I just bring that into a, a tile generator and there we go. So the tile generator, you can pipe in whatever you have built into that. Yeah, you can, you can, it will accept its own built-in patterns or you can actually say, oh, I want to use an image input. Let me, let me throw that to an image input. And in this case, we're just using one. But you could, uh, let's say we wanted to put in another shape. Let's just do a polygon. So if we wanted to have, let's say, this shape in there as well, we could just jump into this tile and say, we want to not use one uh, tile pattern, we want to use two. So let's just put two in there, and we'll just put that guy in there, and we'll change the size way down like this. But we're looking at the alpha right now, so it's not going to be completely... Actually, no, we're not. We're not looking at that. We're looking at the size. So let's bring that size down. Make this like three. We'll get some triangles in there. So that's fun, right? It's already fun. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and just dial that down to back down to one. All right, cool. So from there, it's just a matter of um, extracting some of these mats to get the colors, right? So we've got, you know, the color patterns. I got the, the color of the, uh, of the lemon. I got the color of the stems. Then I've got the outlines, and then I'm just throwing this into a base material. It's not really important what I'm doing on that end, but that's a whole other kind of demo. But I just wanted to show you guys like how you can take something that you want to create and break it down to the tiny little bits and pieces that you need to make that thing. And that's how you have to approach things in substance. You can't just expect to like just do it all and like everything's going to be happening and you're like, Oh, there's my, there's my dirt. There's my, my brick or whatever, break it down into what you're trying to make. And, and I, at least that's the way that my brain works. Cause if I tried to like think about it holistically, I would just freak out and like not be able to do it. But by understanding like, well, I know how I would make this shape and I know how I would make that little piece build from there and just sort of like, okay, I understand. And, and as you go, you'll learn more and more about how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it looks yeah. super complicated, but after walking through it, just seeing each step, right? It's just, you know, it's your map more or less. So, right. And, and know, that's why step. I could have shown, and I, I could still, if everybody wants to see, I could show like one of the actual like materials from this new pack. But I think this demo, it makes a lot of sense because it, it, it's sort of like, it turns on that light in your head. We're like, Oh, like that seems insane. Like these nodes are crazy, but I see now he sh- just used the circle and then he chopped it out and then he did that. And like mm-hmm. it broke down like that, I think is, is really helpful and powerful. And of, because it's all procedural, if at any point, like we wanted to change, I'm just going to move this little thing. Uh, if any point we wanted to make a different version of this, I can just double click into my uh, graph view here and I'm going to be getting sort of my base properties of my, of my uh, scene. And I can just change the seed and get a completely unique set of lemons. Hmm. So I have infinite variations on this material now. 
if I want to go back to where it was, let's say, I think, I think it was at four because I don't like what it's doing with the random rotation of my, um, my leaves there. I don't have to do it globally. I can come into just where I was doing the tile, let's say. So that's going to be the tile generator right here. And I can just change the seed on that. So now I'm just going to get a different position and different rotation. Maybe I like that one. Maybe I like that one. And now I've got a completely unique material, completely unique set of uh, maps. And because it's node-based, if I change my mind and I'm like, oh, I really wish my leaves had uh, fewer lines on them, then I can just come back into that tile generator and just change that amount to maybe two. And or actually, I don't want to do that. I want to do that here, five, something like that. So let's look at what that looks like at the end here. So now we've got uh, three lines on our leaves and let's just change that back to where we had it. So I'm gonna come over here maybe change this to 10. And now we're gonna have a lot. Yeah, it's awesome. So it's just thinking about it in a little bit of a different way, I think is kind of a, a, a cool thing. So there's been a, a few Questions? requests just in the, in the chat to see if you're willing to share a demo on like a photo-based texture. Oh yeah, sure. Okay, let me uh, let me find one. <clears throat> and while you're digging for that, um, have you experimented at all with the Substance Alchemist? Yeah, I was on the beta for that, um, and I've been playing with it for a while, uh, and it's great. It's super powerful, and I think that it's probably going to be a pretty killer tool for everybody's uh, workflows. It, it's sort of taking over the bitmap to material tool that they had before, mm -hmm. but making it, I think, a, a lot more, um, I guess, the it's, it's a lot more like approachable, I would say, because it's, yeah. very, it's very simple. It's, it's very user-friendly. Uh, I didn't really use it a ton on any of my stuff. I played with the idea of it, but you just can't get really deep into it mm -hmm. so it, it's it's good but if you want to dive really deep and like create some craziness then i would recommend like designer or painter even but yeah if you're doing like really quick like oh i took this picture i want to make a material or i want to start with an existing material on alchemist and manipulate it and make it my mm -hmm. own then yeah dude it's great for that for sure yeah it changed my workflow for like doing product renders and stuff because i can if I have the physical product, I can take a picture of, you know, a detailed picture of the material. Right. Boom, right there, you know, and I'm not playing around with the clients and uh, it doesn't really look like that. The plastic's a little different, you know, it's like, yeah, well, yeah. this is exactly what it is. <laughs> no, that's, that's actually, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful, man. Like I've, and some of the AI stuff that they're doing too, like the AI light uh, canceling, and I love the, uh, the color extraction, like mm -hmm. all that stuff is like crazy good. All right. Let me just see what I've got here. I feel, I feel like I'm missing some, missing some materials. What am I missing? All right. So that one is missing some assets. So I can't show that one. And Liam, I haven't been monitoring, monitoring the chat too closely. Have I missed anything? Um, I don't think so. I think there's a question from Teddy that I don't really understand about, is there any kind of detection for collisions? I'm not sure what that means, Teddy. 
I think I think I probably understand what he's saying. Maybe um, collisions meaning like not having patterns sort of uh, overlap one another. Is that yeah. kind of what he means? It says in the tile node. Oh yeah. Um, no, not really. Uh, at least not that I've found. I mean that that could be like one of those crazy. There's a whole other side to Substance Designer too that uh, you can get really deep into uh, programming your own, uh, sort of like programming your own uh, nodes and getting really deep into that side of it. Um, I have not gone that deep, um, mainly because I just like, I suck at math. So I'm not going <laughs> to subject myself to that. Uh, let's see here. For some reason, I feel like I'm, says I'm missing a bunch of stuff. Huh. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, like, I'm not, like, it's, I just recently uh, changed some stuff around on my hard drive, so some of the stuff is not loading properly. Let me see if I can find that. Go ahead and, uh, you got any more questions while I'm looking for this? I'll scroll through the chat and make sure I didn't miss anything. Let's see. Or if anyone has questions now, too, while Chad's looking, throw them in the chat or raise your hand. Yeah, that would be good. Jordan wants to know what's your drink of choice? Drink of choice? Uh, let's see. I would say... The hard-hitting questions. I like coffee and I like bourbon. <laughs> Those are my favorites right there. Uh, preferably at opposite ends of the day. That would be my my choice. Uh, let's see. I'm going to try to find this plywood, but for some reason it's not. Oh, okay. It is working. Okay. So Evie's asking, how long have you been working at learning substance? Over a year. I think I took a year to learn it on Everyday Material Collection, and I didn't really, I think I knew it pretty good. And now I feel like I'm a lot more comfortable in it. It took me a long time. And that's because at that time there wasn't a lot of resources and I didn't really, I didn't really start to really learn it until I started trying to make everything that I wanted to make. And I, I sort of like bulldozed my way through the everyday material collection list of stuff that I wanted to make and ended up with something that I was pretty proud of. But I'd say now I'm so much better at it now. Like I, I wish I could go back in and open up all those everyday material collection materials and just like start from scratch because I was probably doing everything the long way. And now I've learned a lot about how to cheat and do things that, that I want to do uh, without needing a crap ton of nodes. But I still... I still will like make something and then I'll be like, you know, I bet I could make that more efficient. I bet you I could do it with this. And then I'll, I'll go over to my brain and then I'll go back into that material and I'll be like, yeah, I could do this better. And then I'll just redo it. And sometimes that's just, that's how I learn is like, I just know I have this feeling that I could do better, but I don't really uh, know. And, and then I just play around until I figure it out. And then I go back in and maybe update the stuff that I did wrong or maybe not. <laughs> depends yeah all right so i'm gonna show you guys a ridiculously simple node uh structure uh you for the plywood so remember the plywood that i was 
talking about earlier. All right, let's see if we can do this. Let me know if this comes up. You got me? Looking good. good. All right, cool. So they don't all have to be crazy spaghetti situations, right? <laughs> Um, so bitmap based ones tend to be a little simpler, uh, unless I need to like fully like augment them and, and tweak them. So this is a pretty horrible, uh, picture of plywood that I took, um, on my texture scouting for, for EMC a long time ago. And I just never did anything with it. And I just didn't think that it was good enough of a picture. I wouldn't be able to extract anything workable out of it. Cut to a year later and me understanding a little bit more about what, how this all works. And I was able to reuse this node and have it work. And it, it's actually uh, the plywood that you see in a lot of these renders. So let me just like this one, for instance. So um, this is one of those kinds of woods that would be really hard to make that look, make that in uh, completely procedural because it's just got so many little subtle fibers and imperfections that just didn't make sense. So I start off with a photo and from, from there I uh, use a handy node called uh, Luminance High Pass, which essentially just sort of erases the lighting out of it as much as I can. Then I color graded it down uh, with an HSL, just bringing, shifting the hue, or sorry, bringing the saturation down and bringing the lightness up a little bit. And then I throw it into the magic node called Make It Tile Patch. And make it tile patch does exactly what you would think. It takes an image input and tries to make it tile. And the way that it does that is pretty nifty. Uh, it does that. Let me just change this uh, mask size down so you can see that a little bit better. All right. So you, you can kind of get an idea of what it's doing if I bring the mask size down. So it's creating tiny little patches using parts of our texture here and creating these little brush stamps almost around the image. And of course it's tileable, everything's tileable in this program. And from there, you just start adjusting your mask size to kind of make sure that you don't have any of those holes that we saw earlier. And then it's going to smart, in a smart way, try to blend these edges together. It's not just doing a feather, it's actually trying to find parts of the pattern and like match them up if that makes sense. So I can see it's happening there. And you can adjust this by changing the mask precision. Like we bring the mask precision all the way down to zero. Everything just becomes like a gradient, like a soft blurred mat almost, right? But the mask precision is going to be looking at the detail in your image and trying to create a, a mask that flows with the pattern. So there you have it. There's our plywood all tiling and looking great. Make sure that it's all good. Let me zoom back in. From there, I just start to uh, play around with this with the color. And I, I love to use this node called Color Match. Color Match uh, is it's sort of a magic node, really. It, it just takes whatever image that you feed it uh, and tries to get it to match to a color that you tell it to match to. So in my case, I had a bunch of reference images of plywoods, and I just found a plywood that I really loved, and I target matched that color to make this thing blend. But then uh, I don't like to have it, you know, completely drive that, that color. I, I blend it back into the original so that I, it doesn't look completely fake. Cause sometimes when you do a color match, it's sort of like 
gets rid of all of the different hues that are in the dark parts of the image. Gives you a great match, but at the sacrifice of some of that that subtle difference. So I mix that back in to give that give me bring some of that detail back in. Uh, that goes into a base material, and the base material is sort of like an uber material in substance. Like you, you can feed it your base color, your roughness, your normal map. You feed it all the same sort of things that you would feed into a material in Redshift or Octane, Arnold, whatever. And that's how I'm able to just drag this material onto my 3D object. And let's look at it as maybe a rounded, let's go like here. And of course, let's turn on our environment so we can see that. I'm just going to click around. You guys probably are going to not really know what I'm doing here, but I'm also going to use iRay instead of the OpenGL. So it ships with iRay, which is a great path tracing renderer. Uh, and it's built into Substance. And I, I tend to use that over the OpenGL mode because it looks more like what I'm going to get if I export it out to one of the third-party renders that I, that I use. So I'm using that. Uh, let's just grab a different environment map. I also have some of the GSG uh, HDRIs in here as well, but I'm not going to use that. I'm just going to use one of these. There we go. Let's grab that guy. All right. So then we've got that going in there. And from there, I'm just outputting all of my different passes. So I'm just outputting my, my base color. I'm outputting my normal map. I'm outputting a roughness, which I went ahead and ran a histogram select on this to pull out areas of the, of the texture that I want to be extra rough and ones that I don't want to be as rough. And I did the same thing to get a normal map. I'm essentially using a histogram select to choose what areas of uh, my normal map I want to push down, which ones are going to be sticking up, that sort of thing. And then I'm extracting the normal from that, getting my roughness passing through my base material there. And then I'm also outputting a uh, specular level node as well. Unfortunately, the base material doesn't have a spec level uh, built into it. So you have to build it sort of outside of this material and drag it onto your shader and tell it to use the specular level. Yeah, um, yeah I went really fast on that. <laughs> yeah. But okay. yeah, you kind of you get the idea. Mm -hmm. Nice. And then and honestly, that was way more straightforward than I was anticipating. I thought there's going to be like the need to neutralize light a lot more and it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. I think that sometimes you have to go really far. Like if you have the, the, the key is don't shoot pictures with really harsh shadows because when you do that, you're basically screwed. Like you're, there's, there's really no, way around like if you have like you're shooting like rocks or something and there's like it's like noon and the shadows are really sharp and they're dark like that's not going to be easy to do but if you sort of set yourself up pretty decently uh, when you're shooting stuff uh, I tend to shoot textures and overcast when I can in and if it's sunny out I try to like move them into a shed like a place in the shade so mm -hmm. the light the light is way more diffuse and even um, so that helps a lot um, like, let me find one of the, uh, yeah. And, but I mean, that's photo based stuff. Yeah. It can be really simple if you shoot it correctly. Uh, if you don't, then you end up with something that's a little bit more complicated, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to try to find this other material. Let me see. Do you notice a big difference with the size of your photo? You know what I mean? Um, say uh, an iPhone photo versus something from like a Sony A7 
or AR3 or whatever it is. Um, uh, really, <laughs> what you're looking for is what you're looking for is uh, resolution. Resolution is the most important thing when you're mm-hmm. shooting textures. Uh, you want to be able to not have to size things up because uh, that's when you start to introduce uh, just blurring and just mm-hmm. crappiness. Um, so yeah, you just want to make sure you're shooting something very uh, high res. And ultimately like that and, and a camera with good latitude, like you're fine. Like there's really, you don't have to get crazy. That's basically do you do any like processing to the photo before you bring it in? Like, or is it just kind of raw capture? In uh, the only thing that I'll do is I'll try to white balance it. So I'll shoot it with a, uh, I'll sometimes shoot with a, um, let's see if I have one here. I'll, let me just exit out of this real quick. How do I, I'm going to show you guys a, a cool little thing. Hold on. Just use a color card. So I have a color card, a tiny one. Mm-hmm. So I just try to put this in the frame. And what I'm able to do with this is just bring it into Photoshop and get a white, proper white balance on the texture using this. And then from there, uh, cropping, doing any sort of, if I see something blatant that I need to clone out, then I clone it. I just basically clean it up, crop it to 4K square, and that's my starting point when I'm bringing yeah. in stuff. Uh, what yeah. what focal length do you shoot? Like fifty mil? Do you yeah, shoot? I have a I have a fifty mil prime that I use. Yeah. So I I just fixed right there. Just always shooting on that, and I just go out. Like for EMC, I went out for like three or four days in Milwaukee with my friend, and uh, we just drove around in his van. And we had a bunch of food in the van. We just like drove all day, all these different places, shooting stuff. So if you're using any of the everyday material collection, you're using stuff from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, <laughs> which is kind of interesting and fun if you think about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's substance is great, man. Like I, I think it's probably one of the most fun programs I've ever used. And it's one of those programs that I, when I'm in there, I just am like, I'm so comfortable now that it just feels like I could make anything. And, but back when I started, I was like, no, nah, I did not feel that good about it. I was like, oh man, this is really weird. Like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took a while to kind of get to a place where I'm like, I could, I, th- I feel pretty comfortable now that I could get a reference image and make it pretty easily. Um, as long as it's nothing like, it has to be something that could be done with bitmaps because obviously there's just, it's just, uh, it, you can't do like glass in here. You can't do like subsurface. You actually, like, I think you technically can do subsurface in the new one, but uh, it's not, it, it's not giving you that, that, that ray tracing and what you're not making like true, like 3d materials. You're making bitmaps and whatnot. So it's not, uh, that's, that's a little like hard to get your, get your head around. Mm-hmm. But I think, and this might be a good segue into GSG Plus, Jesus is wondering, are you going to be doing any training on Substance? I hope so. I hope so. And I think that it's just like I'm so busy. Like I'm, I've got the, the new material pack. I'm working on another little one. And I'm working on producing uh, other Plus training things that we're, we have in the works. There's just a lot going on. And, and my hope is 
to do something with Substance on Plus or find somebody else to do something with Substance on Plus. Um, but yeah, I think that is the plan to get it on there for sure. And that it's just a matter of finding the time to do it. There you go. Open casting call for substance people on there. <laughs> yeah, actually, since we're here, like if, if anyone knows anybody that is well-versed in substance and creating materials, uh, I'm looking to hire someone full-time to help me author materials going forward. So if there's anybody out there that wants to help make really great materials as a job, hit me up. There you go. Sweet. Well, uh, like you, <clears throat> Liam was saying, if you want to, you know, talk a little bit about GSG plus, I know it just released, uh, yep. we just passed kind of the hour mark here, so we can start wrapping it up, but I definitely want you to have the ability to talk yeah. a little bit towards that. Yeah. So Grayscale Girl plus is out now to the public. You can jump on there and start learning. Got a bunch of new R21 stuff on there, which is great. I've been finally getting into R21 and that's been really helpful. Uh, yeah. So we're trying to make this as powerful and uh, robust as we, as we can. And we've completely done away with the Vimeo player. If you've watched any of our other training, uh, we were stuck to this Vimeo player on the guide to Redshift and the guide to X Particles. That's gone. Now we have a much better video player in this in this uh, system, and I'm way. It's, I'm really stoked on that because that was a huge problem. I, I just hated that Vimeo stuff. <laughs> so yeah, we're just we're we're out to create as much compelling training as we possibly can. We've got some new stuff coming up that's going to be great. We've got. Uh, Zachary Corzine's got a, a, a course coming up. We've got two other courses that I can't talk about that are in the works. Uh, we're dedicating a lot of resources to Plus, so it's definitely a, a, a big part of where we're going as a company. Um, yeah, I feel like it's there's a lot lot to lot to learn in there now, just with the all that R21 stuff we just dropped. All the SGSG stuff is up there, and as time goes by, we're going to make that stuff searchable. Um, so that'll be a great resource. Cool. Thank Dan. Did that answer your question from the chat or did you want to throw that Chad? Oh yeah, I see it. Um, so all the videos are still online only, no downloading. So it's all streaming still. Uh, you have to be logged into your plus account to watch them. Uh, but the player's better. You can resize it. You can move it off to another monitor and like adjust the size and all that stuff. So that's good. Cool. Uh, well, wrapping up here, if anyone has a last minute question, definitely shoot it in the chat. Um, but while we're kind of sourcing that, uh, Liam, you've got some links uh, that you dropped in our notes. I don't know if you want to talk to that really quick. Um, yeah, they're just kind of links from out or throughout the, the chat today that people are asking. So, um, just like substance UI tutorial playlist from YouTube, the creating your first material playlist. I threw those all in the chat. Um, also the learn squared substance course that people were talking about. The only one that I have for the week is a new course from Steve Nipping, um, He's got a new Houdini course out if anyone's interested in Houdini for doing like rapid liquids and like um, streams and things like that. So if you're a Houdini head, 
that might be a good source for you, but really there wasn't so many inspirational links for me this week. I don't know. Did you have any, Mark, that you collected? No, well, I, I got one more question for Chad. Being the node commander, uh, how has your Houdini experience been? Uh, I mean, do you want the honest, ex- the honest answer or yeah, the VIP? Yeah. Uh, the- yeah, you talked about it on the podcast recently, like a week or two ago, I think. And you said you did not like it. <laughs> I'm not, I just can't get into it. And I don't know why. I, and, I, and I think, it, I, I think and I do know why. I, it's not really a mystery why. I think that for me to get into it, it would have to be offering something for me that I'm not getting somewhere else. And it would have to be that I'm getting something like right now I can, I'm, I'm happy in all my tools. Like I love substance. I'm spending a lot of time in there, spending a lot of time in, uh, in cinema, obviously. And for what I do, I'm not really seeing the benefit of Houdini for me. Like I see it for lots of other people like that maybe are hitting the limits of what they can accomplish in cinema. They need to like try some other stuff or maybe they don't want to pay for X particles, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But for me, because I'm doing mostly look dev and I'm doing uh, tool development and asset development and training. Um, I'm not really, I'm not in production heavy. So like, I'm not really there yet. And that's not to say that I won't learn it. I probably will. It's just that I haven't been excited yet to be like, oh man, I got to try this thing. And it's not for lack of trying because I've got a lot of friends, yourself included, that have been like pushing me to try it. And I see the benefit. I see the power. I just am, for me, it's just not, I'm not to that point yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Like the main thing that pushed me over the edge this year is like, like your X-Particles comment. Like I had a big project in December and X particles just screwed me like, like just like caching errors and things like that. And I was like, that's it. Like I'm, I'm done messing with it. I'm done paying for something that I feel like I'm not, I'm just getting more features and I'm not getting quality anymore. So that, that was really what pushed me over the edge. But I like Jesus is saying in the chat, finally somebody that's not head over heels about Houdini. Like I, <laughs> like I, yeah, there's been like a huge influx of people talking about it lately, but like Chad saying, I think move there when you're ready to, if you need to, but don't get on the bandwagon just because a lot of people are talking about it. You know, like if your tools are working, just use your tools that are working. Yeah. You know, I, I have been seeing that a lot lately too. And, and I think that there's a lot of reasons and, and you, your reason is a, is a really good one. Uh, and not that there, there are necessarily bad reasons other than just learning it because it's, trendy or whatnot. And Hey, you know what? There's worse things. Learning is never a bad idea, no matter what reason you have. Uh, But I will say that uh, don't think that it's a a requirement to be in this industry. I think that if it's something that interests you and it's giving you something that you can't get anywhere else, go for it. But it's by no means, I think that it's um, a must learn for most people. Um, I, I think it might be there. I think we're, we'll get to a point where it'll just be another thing that people know. Uh, I think we're a couple of years away from that. Um, maybe when GSG drops its Houdini course, <laughs> uh, uh, but we'll see. Uh, we, we, we have talked about it and we we're we're heavily considering a, uh, a Houdini, um, some Houdini training. I can't talk about it yet, but. I think another argument that I've heard and I've made, 
what I've dropped now is just the pricing, like the indie pricing that side effects offers people for like, what is it? 299 for two years or, or 399 for two years. And now that you have max on board with their new pricing, it's like, you can't exactly make that argument anymore because like right. the barrier to entry now is, is gone. Like you don't, you don't have to pay four grand to get in the cinema. Like you just pay 600 a year or whatever it is now. And like that, that's awesome for people. I get a little bit like, I want, I want to jump on a soapbox every time I hear somebody complain about pricing because I was in the industry when the shit cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And I just want to be like, dude, like this is so cheap. Like you have no idea. Yeah. And, and so I get it though. If you're like on a budget or maybe you're not doing this professionally yet and you're trying to like get the software, like I get it. But at the same time, I feel like they're all approachable compared to what they used to be. So whichever one does the job that you want it to do is the one you should use or whichever one is being used the most widely in the industry that you're trying to get into is obviously the one that you should learn. Yeah. You know, and you're speaking to a crowd where a lot of us are freelancers or working from home, working remotely and like, even when cinema was whatever the 3,500 or whatever it to get in. I mean, I consider myself like super lucky that I can work in my house and spend that amount on, you know, a software package plus, you know, a little bit more on hardware. But I mean, if I was an electrician and I needed a van and I had to buy other tool, like it's the barrier to entry really is quite low when you consider it. Um, yeah. Here, at least here in the States compared to a lot of other kind of trade jobs and, and whatnot. So. Oh, completely, man. Like every, when I tell somebody, that I spent 10 grand on my workstation, I get two responses. I, somebody will be like, yeah, that sounds about right. And then somebody will be like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, this is my job. I'm a professional. This is how I make my living. This is how I make money to feed my family and all the things. So like, I'm going to spend whatever, as much money as I can to get, get myself the tool that's going to do the right job or give me the right, the right tool for the right job. And I'm not going to stress about that. I'm not going to like cheap out on that because if you ask any mechanic, like you're mentioning or anybody in, in those trades, they will, they will buy the best tool they can at the time for as much money as they can at the time. Mm -hmm. If you could, you know, give uh, a carpenter, a, you know, the, the magic wood tool that makes, I don't even, <laughs> bad analogy, I know nothing about carpentry, <laughs> but like, you know, if you had like a tool that did carpentry stuff really good, they would buy it. So like, yeah, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Yeah, I mean, totally. Just like a nice table saw, right? There you go. There That's you go. Gonna, you're going to spend a bunch on that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's really, uh, it's really rad that things are getting to a point that allow the doors to open for kind of that independent individual, you know, solopreneur, freelancer or whatnot. And uh, that's a whole other discussion, I guess, too. But um, so with that being said, I guess we'll wrap things up. Chad, we really appreciate you spending time today. I know you're a busy guy flying out this afternoon and all that. So we appreciate you taking time out to share everything uh, with us. And <laughs> I'll encourage everyone, if you haven't got to any of these uh, events where a lot of people seem to meet up, uh, definitely do so and have these uh, conversations in person. You know, uh, 
everyone in this industry that I've kind of come across as is always super nice and super willing to share their knowledge and expertise and give advice and, and whatnot. So it's one reason why we do this, but it's another reason for you guys to go out and, you know, do it in, in real life, if you will. <laughs> so, um, but thanks, Chad, Liam, you have anything else to add at the end here? Or we good? Um, just like quick calendar updates. Uh, next week will be Penny's first hosting, which is awesome. So join us for that. Mark, you're going to be at Half Res. So if you guys are going to Half Res, if anyone's going to Half Res, go meet up with Mark, say hi. Um, and then the week after that, we'll still be here. And then the week after that is Camp MoGraph. So uh, it's kind of up in the air at the moment. We'll, we'll let you guys know. Oh, shout uh, out to Liam, by the way. I forgot to mention Liam helped with the uh, Everyday Material Collection and the new Modern Surface Material Collection. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I helped do some conversion stuff for Octane, which, like you were saying, it's kind of a pain in the ass with the. <laughs> and, I'm glad you said it. Yeah, and uh, Billy too. Billy was on the call for a little while. He helped with. Oh yeah, the EMC. Uh, Redshift. Yeah, right. But Billy wasn't on this one, right? Or was? Yeah, he? no, he wasn't on this one. Yeah, he, did, he yeah. was a beta tester. Ah, uh, gotcha. Um, but that's it for me. But yeah, thanks so much, Chad. It's always fun to talk with you. Yeah, thanks, yeah. guys. If awesome. you guys have any other questions, comments, suggestions, hit us up, info at mondaymeeting.org, or you can reach out on any social platform, Slacks, whatever. Uh, Liam and I are pretty much everywhere, uh, and there are Monday meeting accounts on most social platforms. So until next week, uh, have a great week. Kick some butt, and we'll see you next Monday. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.